Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. This is your first time a podcast is a personally oriented discussion centered around select topics. And today's topic is all about cybersecurity and what you as a business owner need to know to make sure your business is safe and secure. We are speaking with Walter, who is the CEO of BSC International and an IT professional. So who am I? I'm Will Tarashuk, the founder of Willie T Productions and a professional podcast host. So let's not waste any more time. Let's get this thing started before all the criminals hack our data. Because you know it's cybersecurity and that's a thing. So without further ado. Walter, my man, welcome. Welcome. I didn't I didn't want to disrespect you and butcher your last name. So please tell everyone how to pronounce your last name and just give a brief introduction to yourself and say hello. Yes, uh, my name is Walter Oluwale. Uh, the name is pronounced Oluwale. Uh, the second O, I mean, the second O has a dot underneath. It means uh, God entered the house. If you take the dot out, it means God destroys the house. That's pretty much it. <laughs> Amazing. All right, Walter, well, thank you very much for being here. I'm very excited to talk about cybersecurity. So let's just, let's just kick it off there. Explain cybersecurity in the most basic of terms. Meaning, like, I'm five years old. How would you explain cybersecurity to your five-year-old? That's a very good question. So the best and easiest way to deal with this is not to go technical. Cyber is anything in the cloud. Security, it's about prevention. You're trying to secure something from being breached or something bad to happen. So interconnectivity of computers, are you trying to secure it? And that's it. Yeah, easy peasy. I mean, just cyber, you know, security for like a regular person is just, you know, you have an armed guard or a guard outside your door. Cybersecurity is the same thing just digitally. And the cloud is just where you store your information online or through a server, what have you, right? Pretty much, that's the gist of it. You have all these computers or devices connected, whether it's in the office, whether it's in the cloud. Everybody's interconnected, wired, wireless. So that's the cyber. It takes the whole world of cyber all into one. And the security part of it is how do you protect those interconnectivity of devices that we so depend on for everyday, you know, day-to-day communication or work. And that's basically what you do, right? You pretty much just work with companies to make sure their cyber is up to snuff, cyber and IT, make sure no one gets in, no one gets out. That is what that's what I do. Uh, my background is actually mechanical engineering, mm, and okay. uh, I decided to go into cybersecurity. And during COVID, I went back to my postgrad to do my postgrad in uh, artificial intelligence and machine language. All right. So, like, we're we're here we're here today to talk about like what CEOs need to do to make sure that they're all secure. So, let's just let's from a perspective of a CEO, what is the number one thing they get wrong about cybersecurity and IT? What's the what's the biggest, most common mistake you see these people make? Excellent question again. So, the first mistake is when you talk to the CEO. Well, I have an IT department. I have an IT manager. I have an IT you know, C-level person, that's that's the responsibility of that person to be able to make sure that my, my, you know, my network is secured, my infrastructure is secured, wrong. Cybersecurity, it's all about the risk appetite of the C-level, especially the CEO, and more so today, the board members. So if they talk about their risk appetite for their company, then they're going to have the buy-in and it becomes something that's going to be instilled in the culture of the company right from the top down, not the department, not from bottom up, 
it's about the C-level, especially the CEO and the board to take cybersecurity seriously. Do you, do you when think you talk you, about no, when, when you talk about security, you're trying to avoid any kind of breach. Mm. And when you, you know that's what they call risk. What do you do when you have risk? There are four things you do when you have risk. You can avoid it and say, okay, I'm not going to give anybody any laptops, any connectivity to the internet. We're going to give you slates or pieces of paper, right? <laughs> good luck, okay, good luck running your business on that. <laughs> Let's like, talk, talk to me in six months to see how you're doing. <laughs> so that's the first thing you can avoid. Oh, <laughs> uh, you can just outright ignore it and say, yeah. you know what? Eh, I, I don't care. This other part of it is that you can get an insurance company, you know, to take the falling dagger. Hey, if something happens, we have an insurance. Fine. And what most people do is they try to mitigate it, all right? Try to put, you know, deterrence or measures in there to address the cybersecurity issues. Today, you have to be proactive, not reactive. The days of being, you know, reactive is gone. You have to be actively proactive. And that doesn't mean that you have to be in a panic mode all the time. That's why I said the C-level, the board, needs to instill that culture of Security, right from the get-go. That's right. it. Well, I think I think a common mistake as well, you know, from the outside looking in, like I'll use myself as an example. I'm a solopreneur, right? This company is a sole proprietorship, 100% run by me. What do I have to worry about in terms of cybersecurity, right? I am so small. I am myself. I use Google. I don't mean like I have a website through Squarespace. Like clearly those big companies should have enough security to keep me covered. Like I'm, I have nothing. You have not, I'm starting to have nothing. But when you got little, you have little to lose, right? So like, is or, or am I just completely wrong? Where I was like, no, Google can be hacked, Squarespace can be hacked, and whatever data I got in there can still also be taken. So how should someone like me also be thinking about my own cybersecurity? And how much should I invest really in that cybersecurity as someone who's just starting out from the early stages of building a business? Well, that's a very good question again. And I like the way you framed it. Because Google can be hacked, they've been hacked. Facebook can be hacked, they've been hacked. A lot of all the big companies that you you know you see out there, Marriott, and even the government agencies, they've been hacked. So how can a small business be conscious of the fact that cybersecurity is something to take very seriously? Okay, let me give you a very simple you know, example that is non-technical. Uh, you bought a car or you leased a vehicle. It's upon you to ensure that the doors are locked. It's, a, it's your responsibility to make sure that you roll up your windows. That is your attack surface. Somebody can get into your vehicle if the windows are rolled down, or you have your hood, I mean, your trunk popped open and you didn't close it. Someone can get in through that, right? So it's your responsibility to make sure when you park your vehicle, you want to park somewhere that it's safe enough that a big truck doesn't come in, open the door, and scratch your vehicle, right? Everybody knows about that. You come back from the from the mall, and you look at your door, look at your car, there's a ding in there. What are you going to complain about? To the car manufacturer or the leasing company? It's your responsibility to take that security seriously. Of course. But, you know, a small business owner... You know they have so they wear they already wear so many hats, right? They're for, they're yeah. for someone who's like a, like a mechanic, 
Right? They got to make sure the clients are good. They got to make sure they have enough employees. They got to make sure the budgets are balanced. They got to make sure that they, they, they lock their garage doors, right? There's so many other things like physical security. Even if they're dealing with a Corvette, you got to make sure that Corvette is locked up tight every single night or else you have a fat lawsuit. So it's even harder to gauge cybersecurity. And like you said, it's a kind of a confusing topic. So when I asked you to define it as a five-year-old, you said, let's not get technical. But cybersecurity in of itself is also very technical. So like how, what's the best way for a CEO to get involved and just start other than just, hey, I got money. Let's just throw money at the problem. Because like like it's, it's also be very easy to get taken advantage of certain companies who's like they have, because they, they're going to know that you don't know. So how, how it's, what's the best way to educate yourself? The, uh, the question you ask is very, is, I mean, it's, it's a brilliant question. So um, thank you very much for asking that question. And I love that question. Why? Because there's so many opportunities out there for CEOs, uh, board of directors, and people that are in charge of security for a company to be able to take advantage of. For example, there's what we call NIST, CSF, National Institutes of Standard and Technology. It's a federal government program that helps everybody, especially small business uh, businesses out there. It's called NIST CSF. You can look it up. You can type NIST.gov or NIST CS, CSF, and you can look it up on Google. There's the NIST CSF. CSF means Cyber Security Framework. And for just about every single business out there now that's, that's looking for cybersecurity insurance, there's a question on the questionnaire for cybersecurity insurance that says, what kind of framework are you using to protect your infrastructure? And most businesses never heard of it. They've said, you know, you see the option uh, NIST, CSF, you see COVID. What, what does that mean? They don't know. That is why you need to engage someone like an MSP that understands cybersecurity to help you choose the best option for your business. Whether you're a one-man shop or a thousand, you know, uh, staff shop, you just have to have the right people that has a track record. I can tell you exactly the why, the what, and how. And that's that will be the first thing. So NIST CSF has a framework that has, uh, it used to be about five tenets of the framework. You know, it used to be uh, identify. You need to identify what you have. You can't protect anything unless you know what it is, right? Identify what you have. Uh, they have to protect. How do you protect it? Things like passwords and multi-factor authentication, you know, biometric, those are there. Um, then you have uh, detect, you know, yesterday it used to be, you have an antivirus today. You don't have to be paranoid, but you have to put a tool in there that can do threat hunting. You know, I know that sounds different. Uh, it's not a war zone, but you have to assume someone is in your network. That is part of the proactiveness that you have to, you know, you have to curtail, you have to be able to get into that mindset. Look, who's in my network? There are different tools out there on the market that can all and continuously 24-7 monitor the traffic on your on your network, in your computers, in your devices to see if there's something in there that has been compromised that got in there somehow. Because you have to remember, and this is for the C-level people, the bad actors, it's a full-time job for them, just like you. They have mandates, they have quarters, they have targets. They have promote. They get promoted. They get added boy, you know, because they did a good job. It's a full time job for them. When you start thinking about them as your competitor, 
Now you stop thinking about that. Oh, they're bad actors. I'm going to wait for the FBI. I mean, the police can't do anything because it's a federal offense. So yeah, and, and they and they know how to hide too, right? It's it's no, it's no, more than just using a VPN, job. right? It's more than just using a VPN and a different server and pinging all over the world. Like they they know what they're doing. So let's actually, I like that idea though. Think of them as competition. You got to get ahead of the competition, whose job is to steal all of your data. So when they do a breach, because it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Always. What are they looking for? What are they trying to steal? Okay, before I answer that question, I just want to reiterate. I mean, I just want to yeah, uh, reemphasize it's a business for them. Mm-hmm. All right. They go to work, night of I just like you and I go to work. It's a business. So if we take them seriously, like like that's my competitor out there, you're not gonna look down and say, Oh my look, I'm not trying to glamorize stealing. It is stealing, it is theft. Still a crime. Whether it's uh, state sponsored, yeah. whether it's by some, you know. Some 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 kid that's 16 years old in his uh, mother's and parents' basement, whether it's an activist or activist or hacktivist, it doesn't matter. It is theft. But the point is, for you to get that sense of competitiveness, what do you do if you have a competitor? You want to have one, you know, up against them. You want to be ahead of them, right? So if you think that way, then your security, cyber security, is going to be ahead of the bad actors today. Your antivirus is as useless as it comes. Let me say that again. Wait, are you telling me I should get rid of Norton antivirus for my computer or malware bytes or even, God forbid, Windows defenses, Windows defense server, even on my personal computer? Okay, I have have a client, and actually, you know, this client happens to be, you know, uh, a friend of mine. We became friends over over the years. Mm Mm-hmm. And one of, one, when we did an audit on this network, he had two antivirus programs. That was before he became a client. And he goes, I don't need anything else. I said, you need a, something to do threat hunting, to actively look to see if something is in your computer. Lo and behold, that was the day he called on the weekend because it's a friend of mine too. He goes, Walter, my mouse is moving and I'm not doing anything. Uh oh, and I told him. I said, "Dude, that's you're, your problem." Just yeah, you're hacked, bro. Do, he didn't Guess, listen. Guess what? You don't own your computer anymore. That's someone else's computer now. <laughs> Might as well I burn said, it and throw it out. <laughs> I told him it's a weekend. I'm not worried about it because you don't want to pay and you don't want to deal with the service yeah. that we told you you need to do because you know better than us, right? People think cybersecurity is because oh, I can turn my computer on. I have an antivirus. And everything is hunky-dory. No, today's mm-hmm. technology is that you need to use to fight the bad actors. It's different. You cannot use yesterday's skill set or tool set to fight, you know, the bad actors. I mean, I went during COVID to go back for postgrad to do artificial intelligence machine language. Why? Because I knew it's coming. Now, the bad actors are using AI to breach networks. And you want to still go back and use the old tool set of antivirus to breach networks. So now... You have to use AI tools that are going to be able to protect you from BEC, that means business email compromise. In other words, to be able to look at your email before it gets into your email box and determine if there's, you know, there's a, there's a potential breach coming because of impersonation attack, right? Somebody send it and you know, send an email like someone that you already know, or send you some kind of, uh, you know, unsolicited email. The AI will be able to help you 
address those issues. Now, the good thing about it that people don't understand is that, actually it's not a good thing, it's a bad thing. The antivirus cannot detect some of the tools that the bad actors are using. They're using exactly the same tool that Microsoft built into these software programs to use, like PowerShell. They will run the PowerShell to run a remote program in your computer. And what do you think the antivirus is going to do? Oh, that's my homeboy. Don't worry about it. You go ahead and do whatever you want to do. That's it. That's what they're doing. So now for you to be able to do that, you have to use AI to baseline your computer, your network, your infrastructure. You have to be able to know that, okay, this is how much traffic that's coming out of my network every second, every hour, every day. If there's anything that's more than that, that means there's some kind of exfiltration of data from your network. And it's going to send an alert to somebody or ping somebody and say, you know, well, something's going on in your network. So is your antivirus going to do that? Yeah. So that's the long answer to your antivirus issue. Well, no, that's, I'm glad you mentioned AI because I do, I do have things in my notes about AI, but, you know, since you brought it up, let's just hop right down there. Because hackers have always been ahead of the industry. Hackers have always been ahead of regulators. Criminals are ahead of the police, typically, because they come from new crimes. So with the, with the implementation, impl- implement, implementation, easy for me to say, of AI, is it going to allow for cybersecurity professionals to catch up? Or are the criminals still going to get so far ahead where they're still playing catch up? Or is it too early to tell? What do you think, how do you think AI is going to change the way cybersecurity is viewed from a hacker perspective as well as defense force? Uh, that question, I'll answer it like this. It's like giving someone a race car mm-hmm. and say, okay, let's go down to Indy 500 and get you into a race car. AI is powerful. That person doesn't have an experience. You cannot set up the tools properly. Okay, the tools are there, but you need someone to be able to understand how the AI is going to work. And, and the good thing about it, some of these AI tools are intelligent enough to do self-learning. So to pick the tool that you want, make sure that you have an AI that will do self-learning and be able to optimize over time. So when you install the tool set, the first few days, it's going to learn about your environment, your network, your computer, your, you know, your pattern of how you, you know, how you send and receive emails, who's sending emails to you, and especially who's sending emails out. And it's going to get it, you know, what do you call it? A log of all the emails that you have coming in, uh, going out and compare with anything that's coming in. So if there's any new email coming into you, you get a, you, you get a flag and say, hey, this is a new email. You've never sent an email to this person before and blah, blah, blah. And this one, the content of the email looks like, you know, something we have seen before because it has, you know, it's been sending a lot of email, uh, emails, so, so, uh, solicited email to a lot of people all over the place. So there are so many different tools out there pertaining to AI. You just have to find the one that works for your company. Uh, hopefully you can get uh, an MSP that knows exactly what they're doing, that have a lot of, uh, you know, well-tested uh, setups and installations all over the place. So yeah, I feel uh, like I, 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 I'll tell you a quick story. Please. So we have, we have, we have, uh, we have we still have the client and uh we have an ai monitoring all the traffic of emails going in and out and the email came in an ai tool flagged and said this email is an impersonation email it is not the real person okay and the user always the weakest link 
clicked whitelisted. And it was a wire transfer, $10 million. It was real? It was real. So it was a real $10 million. So he has passed up $10 million because an AI was like, hey, man, this 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 ain't happening. (laughs) He nearly lost $10 million because he said yes, and he did not read. It's right there. Well, it's, it's in red. It's really, it's really hard to tell. So, like, like I'm, I also work in corporate America, right? So we're gonna do a little pivot here. I also work in corporate America, and they have CIT, which is corporate IT services. And what they do, these tricky bastards, is that they send us phishing emails on purpose. So if you fall for the scam, they go, uh, 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 hey, 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 nay, 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 this was a scam. Here's why you fell for it, and. I'm usually pretty good because it's it's Outlook, Microsoft Outlook. So it's like a phishing report, phishing thing. And mm-hmm. sometimes I'm getting pretty, I'm pretty good at it, noticing. I look for the certain things, but they're getting really good. Today, I swear to God, I almost reported an actual email from like our corporate CIT thinking it was fake. And like, so it's it's getting really, it's really, really hard to tell what is real and what isn't anymore, especially with email marketing. You have to remember I said earlier on that this is a business for these bad apps. Exactly, exactly. And uh, I mentioned about NIST CSF, you know, uh, identify, protect. Part of the protection is an awareness training and exactly what you, you know, what you guys are going through in your company. There has to be some kind of simulated attack mm-hmm. for users to get used to. We're talking about once a month, once a quarter, you will get... That's that's another beautiful thing. When you do a simulated attack, uh, awareness training from some of the vendors out there, many vendors out there that does that, uh, you can tell which one of your departments, for example, is weak that needs better, you know, focus or understanding oh, or training. That's interesting. Uh, the HR department, the that's really accounting, the, yeah, you know, engineering. So because you can get the analysis from how many people that really got finger a finger trigger. Uh, a finger, finger happy or trigger, you know, whatever yeah, it is, yeah, yeah. and uh, and click on the email, you know, that says FedEx. They don't have any business to do with FedEx or you know, uh, what do you call it, U-Haul or you know, uh, UPS, and need to download that payload mm-hmm. quietly and sit there and wait, you know, for someone to activate it and become something like a, you know. Uh, just a silent, silent trigger. Something would trigger. It may be a birthday. It may be a day of the week. One of the things that this, I call them professional thieves, do is they know the psychology of human being. They understand human behavior. So on a Friday, late afternoon, they act. During the week, early in the week, they make sure that they get you before ten o'clock in the morning. That's when most people do things before they go to lunch. And the rest of the day, most people are just catching up or just doing something that doesn't make any sense. But you want to rush and get things going. So you're going through your email in the morning. You're just clicking, yes, 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 yes. I want to see this. I want to browse through it. And you're not really looking through. So the email um, impersonation gets right through. And as soon as you get through, you're good to go. Right. So if I'm if I'm running a company, how much money should I invest into like these kinds of trainings and what is the most effective type of training? Let's start with the finances because business is all about money, of course. So yearly budget. I know it's going to depend on the industry and the, and the type of company and like whoever's providing this cybersecurity. Let's this hypothetical numbers here. Yearly budget, $10, $10 million. 
Ten million dollar, no problem. Ten million dollar yearly budget. How much of that money should be invested into cybersecurity? And let's say they are a um, fintech company, medium sized. Okay, that's a very good question again. And remember, before I answer that question clearly, these bad actors they have a job and responsibility that were given to them. And not only that, they have target audience. They have specialized, some of them specialize in fintech, some of them specialize in biotech, all right? Some of them specialize in government agencies. So they have specialties. Now, how much do you want to spend on it? It's not a matter of throwing money at it. It's a matter of getting the right people that know what they're doing and actively test your network and look for threats. And one of the key things we're talking about is threat hunting. I'll keep on saying it again. It's not antivirus and sit back, oh, reactive. You want to be proactive. You want to assume something is in your network, okay? You want to, you want to be able to test your network and say, okay, if there's a breach, how do I recover? How do I respond? What's going to happen? These are the steps that need to be taken. And the first thing you need to have in place is what? Policy. Okay. Before I answer the question about money, and I'll get to it in a second, policy drives security today. It drives cybersecurity. The best and easiest analogy for you is go down to any of the fast food chains, whether it's Burger King, McDonald's, or what have you, right? If you notice that after taking that order of yours, they read it back to you, okay? And they tell you how much it is. And they ask you again, do you want to, you know, do you want to, uh, do you want to, uh, what do you call it, uh, have a bigger order of your, of your, uh, what do you call it, uh, of your fries? Yeah, we're doing a, we're doing a special at a dollar. You. Up, up, yeah, up, up, they're trying to upsell you, exactly. Yeah. They want to upsell you. There's a reason for that. Okay. Because it works. About a million people <laughs> because it works. Yeah. They upsell about a million people a day. That's about, you know, a million dollars right there. Yeah. Okay. Now, there's a reason why when you go to those fast food shops and, and uh, stores, and the, and the reason I'm saying this is that they have a process, procedure, and policies in place. And all the employees of the street need to follow that process, procedure, and policy. When they're done, as soon as you get the total for, the, uh, for your order, they tell you to drive to the next window. They didn't say drive up, go down to the next window, specifically next window. All right. All right? Or and the second window. From, yeah, yeah. Yeah, second window. Yeah, specific instructions. So, now you begin to understand why before you actually talk about money, you need to find out what do you are, what do I have? So the US government and the federal government has come up with what they call NIST CSF 2.0. The first thing that's in there is again about sea level governance. Let us decide that we don't want data breach. Let us decide that we have zero tolerance for any kind of breach. Let us decide we're going to do something about it and make sure that we instill a culture of, you know, data security, cybersecurity. So the first thing you do as a company is write policies, employee use policy, okay? And you have people that are going to have VPN to the, to the office because they are working remotely. So the VPN will delineate the traffic of home and work. So that whatever is happening at home, because you know that your 16-year-old is downloading everything under the sun, and something is crawling through your network, you don't see that, but they don't care about your network. They just want to use that third-party breach 
to hop onto a network. And that's what is happening. So you have to understand that and write policies to deal with employee use uh, policy, uh, laptop use policy. If you travel out of the country, go down to some uh, unfriendly states, make sure that your laptop, when it comes back, before you use it, you sanitize it, things like that. Okay. Uh, email use policy. Your personal laptop is not anything personal. It's, a, it's your company's information. Make sure you don't just have antivirus and forget about it. Have a threat hunting tool inside it. Make sure that you know users don't have the ability to install software so that when they click on something they're not supposed to click on, that software doesn't get installed unless they have administrative rights to install it. This little thing starts adding up real fast. And you can see that I haven't even mentioned money at all. All right? It's a policy to put in place to safeguard users because users are the weakest link. They don't care about security. They just want to do their job. That's not their role. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, my my company gets hacked. It's not my. It's no. It's not my butt on the line. Right. It's not my job on the line. It's 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 a simple. It's a simple mistake. I didn't know. I'm not an expert in this kind of thing. That that's what what's Uh, an employee. That's what an employee could be thinking, of course. Yes, but when 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 you instill cybersecurity into them, they get training. If they did something really stupid, hey, make sure they raise up the right hand and call IT. Guys, I did something. I don't know what it is, but I just did something. There's nothing wrong with it. Nobody's going to chop your hand off. Yeah. Go fix it. Yeah, they, they want you They oh. want you to come to them to be like, yes. it's, yeah, they, I'm like, listen, Paul, that Paul's to be like, in part of the training is, listen, you're not going to get in trouble. You're not going to get reprimanded for making a mistake and being fooled by someone whose job it is to fool you. Yeah, right? it's, it's yeah, a full-time right. job. It's a profession. That's your job to understand human yeah. behavior so they can rob you. Exactly. That's your job. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So yeah, when I went back to so the- so to answer that question, don't spend hundred dollars to secure a you know a, a one thousand dollar infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Don't spend a million dollars to secure a hundred thousand network. Okay. So uh, some companies spend as high as 8%. eight percent. Eight zero eight. Yeah. Eight okay. percent of their, you know, what they call it, uh, annual revenue. Uh, it depends on the kind of net, you know, network they have. You have uh, biotech that sometimes they want to make sure that the the infrastructure they have is not in the cloud because of uh, what they call it, uh, you know, intellectual properties. Yeah. Uh, some don't worry too much about it, like manufacturing. They want to have applications in the cloud and put their Jira software in the cloud. Uh, then you have, uh, you know, small companies that really want to make sure that everybody has access to the cloud-based infrastructure instead of having on-premises servers to save files. They want to be able to use things like Office 365 SharePoint yeah. uh, as their, you know, file sharing resource or Google Business and things of that nature. So the training comes in handy. The recovery and backup becomes more important because that's part of your business continuity. So you need to have a policy in place for your business continuity. What happens if we have a data breach? How do we recover? And you need to test that at least once or twice a year. So we have a breach. How do we recover? So you may have a backup. Would you have a you know cold or warm side backup? You know that's a fancy, te- uh, fancy terminology for a backup that is cold, meaning that you have to go back and turn all the servers back on to connect to the network. One minute that it's always running all, all the time, it has a heartbeat. 
to connect you back again in case anything happens. So you need to have that business continuity a policy in place. So that's why you see from the governors, I mean the C-level, the board, they've already have a burden. And uh, so by the time you start having all this in your infrastructure, security, you know, like uh, security features in your network, the CFO is going to have to write a check. IT department and CFOs are not lovers at all. They fight all the time. My computer's working fine. Why do I need it? <laughs> okay. I'm sorry, Mr. CFO. We have a policy that we need to adhere to. This is the policy. Okay, don't worry about it. I'll find money for it. And that is it. Well, yeah, it's it's it's, it's something you know you need, but you don't want to pay for it because you think you're never going to need it. Right? A CFO's job is to cut budgets, right? And cybersecurity is just like, well, what are the odds? But exactly. you can't, you can't, you can't play that game. So, like, but but is is there a specific industry that's at greater risk? The top of my head, I would think banking is a huge risk. Healthcare is a huge risk because that data is very valuable. Or are there are these criminals thinking, let's get the smaller bait and get smaller, smaller get more smaller fish, opposed to the one big whale, in terms of like you know your local laundromat or a small hardware shop or you know. At an independent law firm, are they more targeting the smaller firms that might be "quote unquote" easier, or they're going after the bigger fish for the bigger reward? Okay, very good question. Um, it depends on the bad actor mm -hmm. mandate. Remember, it's a profession. They have companies, uh, they have expertise, and they have their mandate. What they should go? In. They do specialize in the kind of companies they want to bridge because they understand those companies, you know, weak points. There are some that actually specialize, guess, guess this, cyber security insurance companies. Why would that be? Why would they go after cyber security uh, companies that write cyber security policies? Because they already have all the information they're looking for because they're the ones securing it. No, they have all the list of companies that are looking for cyber security. And they know. Oh, the so they, they know who's, it's the literally, it's a laundry list of who's vulnerable. And how much the insurance <laughs> is going to pay out. <laughs> I shouldn't be laughing, but that is this, see, that's, that's the thing of like, they're always two steps ahead. I wouldn't have thought of that. That's why I'm not a criminal. That's why you have to think about, I mean, think of them yeah. as competitors. Yeah, right? no, that, make, that makes a lot of sense, Walter. And guess what they call the victims? Oh, they probably call them suckers. No, clients. Client. Oh my God. Even better. Damn. Damn. Okay. They call. We can talk. We can talk about dark web because I do specialize in dark web too. But sure. it is very fascinating when they call their victims clients. Well, it makes sense though, because it fits it fits with their framework. Now, granted, their business is illegal, but like you said, like the theme of this podcast is they are still operating. Like a business, and they're a business it that is. wants they a business that wants to put you out of business. So you got to be in the business of putting them out of business. That's it. Because if they come, see when you get breached, they take your information and sell it. Right. And when they sell, it depends on how long you got breached. If it's in last hour, last day, last year, the price differs on the mm -hmm. dark web. And they, they tell the rest of the world in the dark web step-by-step step of what they did to breach your company. 
they they primarily they practice that communal service. You know, it's like very communal. So they did something, they'll show everybody what they did. It's not just bragging rights. They let others know so they can improve the skill set of the other kids. Are there different best practices between um, national wrongdoers, so like, you know, like a, a hacker in the States, as opposed to international wrongdoers, meaning hackers from, you know, somewhere in Eastern Europe or Asia? Like, are there different protocols you should take, or is it mainly the same? Like, do different hackers in different countries have different methods? Well, um, the the question is, uh, allies are all lies, okay? Mm. <laughs> so, for people to get trained, yeah, you will hear something like the red team and you know, and blue team. Red team are the bad guys. Blue team are the good guys. So it's like getting yourself a locksmith or somebody to come in and break your lock. It depends on what side of the fence that person is, a freedom fighter or a terrorist. So they learn, in most cases, from a structured state-sponsored programs. It's, going, it's like going down to a school. They learn from that, or sometimes they gravitate into that. And in most cases, they were trained from, you know, from earlier on how to hack. And when they get to a certain point, they go out and start their own business. They graduate. So, and they keep that alliance between the state and their private business. Now, you have other groups that are called, you know, hacktivists. Instead of activists, with an H, hacktivists. So those are pretty much like roaches all over the place. And they get together inside, uh, you know, uh, their own private chat groups. And it's a bragging right. And at the same time, it is uh, it's a moral compass. You cannot legislate morality. Okay? They have whatever reason. They have an idea about what the world is supposed to be. And they have that moral compass. You cannot legislate it. It's like a moving target. Whether it's right or wrong, they believe in it without a shadow of doubt. So who's better? It's a toss-up. The state hires private, private goes into the state, and vice versa. And you have to remember, you know, what do people really go out and breach for? Corn. Will. Corn. Coin? There are people in jail, federal jail, arrested by the FBI that stole corn. Corn, that like stole C- research, like C O R N, corn. Yeah, yeah, because they don't want to do the research. C O R N. Okay. Google it. FBI corn theft. You will see. They took the corn and hid it inside vehicles and shipped it overseas. They took the corn, hid it inside suitcases. So they have they had multiple vectors and make sure that if one of them is. If, if they caught one of the uh, shipments, at least another one would, would slip through the cracks. So think about biotech. Okay. I remember during the Obama time, there was another company that was doing it that had electronic switches. They started getting reports that, uh, you know, the RMA, uh, Merchandise Authorization, that some, some of the switches were defective. And they started looking at the switches when it came back. They couldn't find the serial number in their inventory. 
because another another country was cloning their switches and selling it in the U.S. So one, so you begin to see, yeah, you know, just about every single industry is a low hanging fruit. It depends on the mandate of the bad actors. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, can't the bad actors also turn into good actors? What I mean by that is, I know this is an actual thing that happens out there. Companies will hire hackers to hack into their system and find the loopholes. So those loopholes can then be closed and fixed. How common is this? Is this something you would advise companies to do? Actually, that is more common than you think. It's called uh, bug bounty. Okay, it's so a bug bouncing. I'm glad I know the word for yeah. it now. Bug bounty. Uh, so it's it's a profession. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You you're 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 a legally you're a, you're a legal hacker with a designed yeah. with the goal of hacking into a system on yeah. purpose that is hired yes. by that company to find the loopholes, right? It's 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 a oh. way to get a step ahead. Like if you can, like if I went to jail for hacking, the first thing I would do when I got out of jail is be like, hey, I'm flipping I'm flipping coins, flipping a coin here, and going to work for the my from a bad guys, now the good guys, right? Here's yeah. here's learn learn what to do from the criminal who did it. So you have bug bounty, and it's not the same thing as red hat, black hat, or gray hat. That's a whole okay. different you know conversation. So bug bounty, you sign up with either Microsoft, for example, they have a bug bounty program, and you sign up and say, oh, I'm a hacker, I wanna be able to find uh, zero day, you know, you know, problems that you have in your software OS or anything you have, and you sign up, you get validated, you're good, and you just go to work. When you find something, it, fortunately for, you know, Microsoft and alike, they determine the severity of what you find, okay? How you report it to them, that's when you can become great. You can say, you know what? If I sell this to the dark web, I can make my money. All right? If I expose this, or if I tell my my, uh, bug bounty client, I say, look, I need you to pay me more than what you're thinking of paying me. And if you don't pay me that, I'm going to put it out in the dark web for free. And Mm -hmm. you're going to be screwed. Mm -hmm. So, so blackmail. Well, blackmail, yellow mail, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> they call it grayscale right now. Oh, gray, okay. Gray Sounds like blackmail so to you, me. You, you are supposed to be a white hat, you know, you know, good guy, and you yeah. turn gray because mm. you decide to stay on the fence and mm. do something you're not supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you came in as a good guy, you came in registered. So that happens too. So people could be motivated because of money. Obviously, hacking is about money, and not only that. For you know, hacktivists do because of their morality, their you know whatever is going on in their mind. And so those, I mean, this it's amazing the amount of professions in the dark web that you don't people don't know about. You have what is called credential stuffing. Okay, that's a whole different ballgame. When we when we have a talk on dark web, we can talk about credential stuffing. All right. You can talk about, and you can even rent people to do that for you as a service. Interesting. Interesting. All right. Well, Walter, you also provide a service, and that is literally preventing these cybersecurity criminals. So you are a provider of cybersecurity. What questions should CEOs be asking someone like you when they're looking to have a service like yours? One of the questions is kind of more, more like, uh, 
well, I want to secure, but I don't want to spend too much money. It comes, you know, together. <laughs> it comes together. So the next, my answer is, let's look at what is your attack surface. And the reason I'm using that terminology is I want people to know what an attack surface is, okay? So let's look at your vehicle again, your car. How can people get into your car? You have four doors, you have a trunk. What are they going to do? They can break it. They can use a screwdriver. They can use a, you know, kayaking tool. They can use all those things to do that, all right? That is your, that's your perimeter. That's your outside of, of your vehicle. They can then use a, an electronic device and clone your key and just walk in and just press the button and open your, open your door. That is your attack surface. So the first thing is to identify what do I have. I have a physical infrastructure that have servers in the office connected to a cloud serve, uh, a cloud provider. I have servers in the cloud too. Now you're beginning to see attack surface. I have Wi-Fi and people connect to my Wi-Fi. Do I do I do you know payment transaction in here? Do I collect and do I use uh, do I collect credit cards from my clients? So you have to make sure you're PCI compliant. Your Wi-Fi has to be PCI compliant so that you don't transfer something over open Wi-Fi that is not PCI compliant. Do I have road, I mean, road warriors, you know, people that work from home? How do I make sure that their home network doesn't get connected into my network without, I know, you want to protect, so usually they use something like a VPN to delineate the traffic of home users and your network. We even sometimes go to the point that as soon as you connect to the office, right, you cannot use your browser to do anything at home. You have to break the VPN before you can actually do anything else. Some users don't like it, but it protects the network. It's it's a nuisance. I, I have that. I have my work laptop that won't work completely unless I'm connected to the VPN. Yeah, it's a pain, but... I understand it's for security reasons, right? I mean, I, I get it. I mean, you have, yeah, duh. It's a, they call it personal laptop, but it's nothing personal about it. Well, it's yeah, well, I actually, I, actually have a, I actually have a fun lightning round question for you in a little bit about the idea of big brother and the idea of corporate laptops, but let's, let's stay on subject. So, like, again, yeah. what, what questions should CEO be asking you about cybersecurity access? I guess the idea of like using, using laptops and VPNs for your com- companies must be one of them. So we talked about the, you know, the attack surface. Look mm-hmm. around and see what they have. First, identify everything. They, you know, then figure out, come up with an action plan how to protect it. Okay. So right there, as part of the protection, you will begin to see things you need to write policies on. Okay. Uh, retention period, for example. Uh, need to know. Uh, you know, uh, separation of duties, for example. You know, someone works in a accounting department. The person that Rise the check doesn't sign the check. You know that, right? So there'll be some departments that sometimes you can rotation of duty. So somebody will work for six months and someone will do the same job six months later. So if there's any inconsistency with the job, you know something is not right. The person that took, that was doing the job before wasn't doing the right job, right thing. Uh, platform security. You know what kind of platform you have? Cloud platform, physical. You know platform. People talk about pen testing. And this is where I, I let people know that pen testing doesn't really solve your problem, especially when you're doing it once every six months, every quarter. You need to get new skill, uh, new tools, new firewalls that will be able to do something like that every second of the day. You need to know how much traffic that is going through your network. 
to be able to baseline this is how much traffic in case there's any you know what they call outlier one day instead of having 10 gigabyte of traffic you know you know during the day all of a sudden you're getting about 15 20 and you know something is going on somebody's moving a whole, a whole lot of data and it's not your backup so those are the things that you advise them i said at the end of the day the first thing i would advise the ceo is get policies in place get all your you know team leaders all your managers and you need to write a policy that addresses everything about your company you've already identified protect it with policies the it department would then take the policies and look for tools to protect it based on the policies when that is done what we always do is we do qmi quantify measure and improve you find out is what has anything that we've done been implemented properly? Is it working? How many people in HR department are failing the cybersecurity uh, simulated attack? Do they need additional training? Remember, you say you are you know, doing some training, you get this denied you know, cyber attack uh, training through emails. And looking, and so they're looking to see if you're going to open that email. Those are the things that you have to measure and improve. Okay, we have 10 people in this department or two people in that department. How can we help them to be less, you know, what they call it, uh, to have less anxiety about reading their email between 10 and 12 o'clock instead of just clicking on anything that comes under the sun? So those are the things that we tell the CEO, look, it may cost you a lot of money. It may cost, you know, and you have to value that money. So look, am I spending $10 to protect you know, hundred thousand dollars, or spending a thousand dollars to protect, you know, fifty thousand dollars worth of investment. That's pretty much it. So, if you're looking for a provider, what are some like green flags? Like, okay, yeah, that's a great thing to work for. What are some red flags? Like, eh, this company ain't for me. I think these people are trying to get more money than they're worth. So, give me, give me some like when you're looking for a provider, some good, good things to look for and things to avoid. Uh, a good provider knows exactly what your industry is. No, I mean, we'll sit down with you and get a better understanding of your pain points. The whole idea is for you to focus on your business and let them focus on the technology. A good provider will do quarterly business review with you. How are we doing? How are you doing? Okay. And not only that, tell this, you know, educate the CEO. That's the job of the provider. And say, Mr. CEO, uh, Mrs. CEO, Ms. CEO, this is what's going on in the world. What we have is adequate, but you know what? We need to step up our game a little bit because the bad actors, they're trying to sharpen up the pencil really, you know, real bad. Okay. So take me, take me in the worst case scenario. A breach just happens. What are the first steps the CEO and the, the C-suite executives need to take? If they have a policy... They have written instructions on what to do exactly. Mm -hmm. If they don't, it's pretty much a toss-up. <laughs> it is. That's a great answer. That's, that, that's the whole point. Your policy, right. you know, is your is is the way for for you to handle the falling dagger. Okay, it, that's pretty much what it is. Even Massachusetts has done something to help Massachusetts residents. For example, Massachusetts has what is called two hundred one CMR seventeen. Mm -hmm. That law was one of the first that was created in the, actually it is the first privacy law that was created in, in, uh, in America. Uh, I think New York and California followed right away. So what that does is it states clearly, if you have a Massachusetts resident social security number, 
first name, or and last name, you have to protect that that information. That means where you keep that information needs to be locked. Oh wait, 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 pause. So, like for example, I was born in Massachusetts. I yeah. have a Massachusetts, I guess, a Massachusetts social security number, which I didn't know social security were made up by state. Now, yes. I live, I live in New Jersey. That's protection. I'm still protected under this law, even though I don't live. I'm not a Massachusetts resident. No, if if a company hires a Massachusetts resident, okay, so okay, so, got it, got it, got it. Okay, please continue. Okay, so if you hire someone that's in Massachusetts. Is if so, if you're a company in Massachusetts, you hire a Massachusetts, you hired a Massachusetts resident, you need to protect that information. If you don't, there are fines first, first time, second time, and not only that, to prove that you have that, you know, that information protected, you need to create what is called a WISP, written information security plan. A written information security plan is it's a roadmap to say, okay, we had a data breach. And uh, 20 Massachusetts residents' information were exposed, right? What do we do? Who picks up the phone call? Who makes the call? How do how do we deal with their credit uh, credit uh, reporting information? And how much are we going to pay to address this issue to address Massachusetts residents' information being uh, because of the data breach? That is the responsibility of the company at, at this point in time. And there has to be a wisp in place. If there is no wisp in place, that's a problem. How much is that? And you have to Go ahead, continue. And you have to report it to, you know, you have to report it to the state that there was mm. a data breach. How much does that cost companies? Like, because, like, like, something like that, like, if you, if you, I think, first off, let me start off by saying, I think that policy is a very good idea, right? I'm glad there is some sort of government regulation to make sure that data breaches are less likely to happen. However, government can be very tricky, government can be very expensive, and government can be very inefficient. So, how much is that going to cost a company? And if the government is going to mandate this sort of a thing, are there resources that the state of Massachusetts provides to these companies or some sort of like program to help them pay for this kind of a thing? Because that can't come cheap. Uh, the, to my knowledge, I don't think there's any program that I'm aware of that helps to pay for the for the program. So of course there are lots of uh, kangaroo uh, uh, programs out there that you can you can download a template and just sign off on it and uh, you're good to go for less than I don't know hundred bucks. Uh, law firms uh, got into this and they charging uh, arm and leg. So it doesn't cost for a, com a company of about twenty five users uh, to write the Massachusetts two one CMR seventeen with uh, the policies. Uh, we're talking about we're talking about close to about twelve to fifteen policies that a company needs to have. Uh, it may cost you on this on the southern side of uh, two thousand five hundred dollars to you know a little a little bit uh, not to uh, about five thousand dollars depending on the size of the company. Because what happened is that the, the policies tend to be a little bit overwhelming for the first time. But what we do is we, we add summary of each and every single policy that it's easy to digest, but details, the minutiae of the policy tells, tells the, uh, the IT, uh, whoever is supporting that infrastructure, step-by-step step of what needs to be done. It's all spelled out. And all they, all they have to do is follow those, those uh, steps and procedures and how to incorporate it into the infrastructure. So you, you as a Massachusetts business owner, do you think the policy is helpful or do you think it's a little too much regulation? Where do you fall on the spectrum? Um, the policy, 
201 CMR 70, yes. 17 is a government yeah. regulation. Yep. That's good. Policy itself, it's a it's about planning. If you don't plan, it's a plan for failure. If you mm. plan, it's a plan for success. So uh, and NIST CSF, NIST National Institute of Standards and Technology, Cybersecurity Framework, it's a good guide. Mm-hmm. It's so painful, you know, the federal government has gone way and above to see, look, we're going to help you out to do things. And the first thing you have to do with the CSF2, governance. Mm-hmm. Have a buy-in by the leaders. The next thing, identify what your, what your attack surface is. Identify what you have. How many computers do you have? How many laptops do you have? How many, you know, tablets do you have? Phones do you have? How are you going to control those phones? You use what is called MDM, Mobile Device Management. That way you can control them remotely. You can wipe them off. You can lock it. You can find it. You can, you know, whistle on the phone when the user, you know, decides to do whatever. You can do uh, what they call it, a geofence and say, okay, if the user is taking it, be, you know, beyond where they're supposed to go, we want to know. Then you can, uh, then, uh, so if identify what you have, right? Mm-hmm. Then you can protect it. What are the tools do I need to protect it? How do I need to protect it? How often do I need to protect it? The next thing is you have to detect. Is something going on? Right, it's something going on. These things so you have to be able to detect. After detecting, how do I recover from it? Okay, mm-hmm. I mean, how do I respond to that thing? You respond, you re- respond, and deal with those issues right away, proactively. Then you can recover. All right, you can recover and be rest assured that everything's okay. Then you go back again to the beginning. Mm. Are we doing a good job? We need to improve on it. The governance will tell you that we spend this much money. Is money well spent or we need to add a little bit of 5% or 10% to get to where we want to get to? Because look, cybersecurity breaches, it's not a fad. Right. Cybersecurity right. insurance has increased hundredfold, okay, in the last two years. So that tells you what? The bad actors are winning. It's not a matter of when. Yeah. Well, especially, especially, I'm glad you mentioned the last few years because we're going we're gonna to wrap up here on a few, a few quick points here. And the idea of, you know, the pandemic happened. Life of, in and it of itself got turned up, up, turned completely upside down with the idea of remote work. So let's kind of talk, let's talk about remote work and how much more difficult is it for these companies, big or small, to ensure that their information is safe when people are working from home Sometimes on a home network, which is who knows how secure or how to they had to secure a VPN and make sure that's more secure. And with the idea of people coming in hybrid now, I do three, a few days at home, two days in the office. That's just like for cybersecurity, that could be literally the worst of both worlds. Now you got to pay for both. How has remote work affected the cybersecurity space in a positive or negative light? It has, I wouldn't say positive or negative but it has expanded the scope of flexibility and more options mm-hmm. for people okay. to work. So we, we, now people that never thought that they, they're going to have a VPN infrastructure into their environment, now they have a VPN infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And the workers, in some cases, are more productive because they can focus. They don't have to deal with the office politics and water cooler you know, talk conversation. They, some people are introverts. They prefer to work in their little cubby hole and they sit at home in their PJ all day long That's and me. they're happy. <laughs> and if you're happy, you're going to be productive and they can play their music as loud as they want. You know, right. that, that's great. 
That is great, but, but I'm, I'm talking more from a cybersecurity perspective, though, from my idea yeah, of like I'll, a I'll company think. securing the data. Like, I totally agree with you. I love remote work, and it is more productive for a lot of people, myself included. But from a company running a, running a company in a cybersecurity perspective, how has remote work affected that? It's, it's, been, a, it's, been, a, it's been an ongoing challenge, and it mm-hmm. continues to be an ongoing challenge based on how your infrastructure is designed. Mm-hmm. Okay, exactly. we 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 having we, we begin to see more of our clients going full cloud. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, they're using things like Office three sixty five. The uh, with the Office three sixty five, it's a one stop shop for most of them. Uh, they can have voice over IP phone system that makes it look and sound like you're in the office. You can have it on your desktop. Uh, as a, uh, on a desktop, you can have it on your laptop, you can have an app on your phone. So it doesn't matter where you are. I travel a lot. It doesn't matter where I am. My phone rings on it, you know, on my cell phone too. So it, it makes you more agile, but it depends on your MSP or whoever design, design your infrastructure for you. So the strength of your cybersecurity, it's upon who is designing for you how experienced are they and how flexible do they want to make sure that you you have the flexibility to do what you need to do. Users don't care about security. They just want to get their work done. Right. But it's, yeah. And uh, for cybersecurity, we need to have tools in place that are automated to do things for us instead of manually watch, you know, looking at, over our shoulder to see if things are working right. Those tools will send alerts to us proactively. This is what's going on. This is what's going on. This is what's going on. And you need to be able to respond adequately. Mm. So it really, it really, it's just got to shift the policy, right? Another theme of this is making sure you have the policies in place. So if you were, if you were an in-person office, and now post-COVID, you are a more hybrid remote. What, like, how, how much did they have to change their policy in terms of fighting cybersecurity, or is it kind of just, you know, not that hard of a transition? It's the employee, you know, computer use policy is the first thing to get started with. Yeah. And it's to be expanded. It's not about working remotely. Where are you working remotely? In country, out of country? Is the country going to be an ally or not an ally, friend, friend or foe, that kind of stuff? So you need to incorporate that in there as part of your you know, infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes you want to be able to monitor the activities of the employees, right? You have manic time, you know, uh, for example, you can put it in there. And you can see what they're doing and how they're doing. It's not because you want to be a big brother. You want to get it better. You have to have enough data of what your end users are doing and how they're doing it. If you don't do that, then you don't know who you're servicing. You need to know your client. Okay. KYC. Because your users are now your clients. Mm -hmm. If not, if they're not your client, they're going to be the client of the bad actors. (laughs) The bad actors call them client. Are you going to be the client? Of yeah, the you're, bad going to be, you're going to be client of the bad actor. So make sure you know your users, understand what their pain points are. They're going to push back. I just want this. I just want this. But what is good for the company? And yeah. that's what you have. It's a con- continuous conversation, continuous evaluation of your cybersecurity and posture all the time. You cannot sit back because the bad actors, they're, they're striking every time. And hoping, hope they're hoping one day you're gonna look and open the door and let them in. So when you look at the definition of uh, insanity, doing the same thing over and over and expect something a different outcome, but well, that's mm-hmm. what 
bad actors do. They do the same thing over and over. And if you let go, <laughs> something else is going to happen and they, they get that win. Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of, a lot of cybersecurity makes a lot of sense. Like for an example, again, corporate America, um, I work in corporate America. So I got my own work laptop with the VPN, I got my own work cell phone with the VPN. There's a lot of things I can and can't do, can and can't access, which is totally fine. But, you know, they sent us a message not too long ago saying, hey, just so you're aware and reminder, we monitor all of your text messages between anything for security reasons. And part of me is just like, yeah, that makes sense. Part of the other part of me is just like, yeah, no, I get it. This is a comp. This is a thing you own. You can look through as you see fit to protect your assets. But the other part of me is just like, whoa, corporate big brother is watching me. Granted, I can always just leave the company and then it's I'm free. But security means no, no. Big brother is watching. Does that does that concern you at all? That like like the work a workforce could be so normal and like complacent to yeah they just they just watch me all day on their devices. Like does that have any concerns out for that that could spread outside the workplace or like what what are your thoughts of cybersecurity on? towing that line and doing that balance between authoritarianism in the corporate workplace or a private workplace and even just everyday freedoms we have as Americans. Uh, there was a day I was at one of our clients and uh, one of the, one of the users, you know, just walked up to me quietly, you know, in their cafeteria goes, Walter, I tried to get into my personal uh, Facebook, but I can't get into Facebook. Yeah. And I said, I understand that you, there's a policy here that doesn't allow you to go to social media, but it's my personal Facebook, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, yeah, that's the whole point. It's your personal Facebook. The office says nothing is personal here. It's work. Now, what is good for the company? That's the bottom line. Yeah. You know, it may sound unfair, but what is good for If you don't like it, you don't have to work in that company. They are yeah. trying to safeguard the assets because at the end of the day, if something happened because of your wrongdoing, what are you going to do? Oops. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, also, that's why I got this bad boy, my personal phone to go on Facebook. I have no problem with the company blocking Facebook on their devices or even if you're connected to their Wi-Fi network or YouTube or insert website here. That's totally fine. But the fact that they were telling us, hey, like, we're monitoring your text messages between coworkers. It's like, ooh, ooh. That felt like a step. Now, like also, this is also a generational thing. I'm 28 years old. So to me, my coworkers were like, oh, that's weird, right? Like I don't have Instagram. I don't do anything personal on this work phone. I literally only text coworkers and check email and log into the VPN. That's literally all I do. If I want to do something personal, I use this bad boy because they can't get in there. But the old, like an, an, an older generation, like maybe like a coworker in their 40s, early 50s, they're like, yeah, I don't even have a personal cell phone. I only have my work phone. And it's like, yeah, I text my wife on that phone. It's just like, ooh, so you're okay with your boss looking at your text messages with your wife? He's like, yeah, I got nothing to hide. So that's a little bit of a generational thing, but it's just, it's just, it's weird. It's just, I gotta say, it's just, it's just weird. Blocking Facebook is one thing. Monitoring text messages or, is, is there a line? Or is it, hey, bottom line, that's all that matters. The bottom line is what's good for the company. <laughs> yeah. And, and, uh, and, and, and it's good for the employees. Let's make that clear as well. It's also good for the employees. The first, is like the first thing that comes up is what's good for the company. Mm -hmm. Because if it's good for the company, your job is saved because mm -hmm. your company is still going to be in business. If your company is not in business, 
there's a there was a company in Kansas, uh, 60-year-old company, you know, it was, uh, what do you call it? It was a company that was uh, started by the mother of the president of the company. And they had a cybersecurity breach in November. By December, they had to close. Yeah. Over 60, I don't know, about 300 employees, 60-year-old, 300 employees went. That is how serious this thing is. What is good for the company is good for the employees. If you're worried about your privacy, it has nothing to do with just an individual personally. It has everything to do with cybersecurity because bad actors are not playing. If they yeah. can get through you to get to your company, they will. Mm. Does cybersecurity also work the other way? Like, right, so like no one can, no one wants to come in, right? That's hard to do. But also, like if you're dealing with sensitive data, you want to make sure that it can't go out, right? Like you want to make sure your personal, your employees can't, leak information, leak sensitive information, specifically if it's around like pharmaceuticals, just throwing that out there as a random example, right? Or, or banking information, right? Does cybersecurity also work both ways? So it's like your employees can't do like criminal act. I don't want to say criminal, but- Yes, yes, leaks, uh, cybersecurity leaks. works that way. So yeah. that's why you need to know your employees. There's what they call DLP, DS and David, data loss prevention. Data so loss data loss prevention will look through, for example, your email, or files that you have uh, you're accessing. And those are software programs that will keep an eye on what's going on. Does this person has the right to know, right to view, right to read or write? And you flag it down to somebody, hey, you know, Will is opening what it's not supposed to be opening, you know, it just send that out. Yeah. If you send an email out without redacting a uh, social security number, the DLP will actually take it upon itself to either, based on the policy that was put in there, right? It can yeah. redact it, it can arrest the email, and report it to your boss, or just delete it. Huh. Again, policy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Paul, yeah. No. That so that sense. is what it called DLP, data loss prevention. Hmm. Learn something new every day. I guess now I know that no, no, I know not to email my social security number to anybody on my, on my work email. Because <laughs> <laughs> if they have a data loss prevention policy in place, the tool will be in there. Uh, for example, Office 365, you know, I'm, if they have it in there, it will flag it. If yeah. you go, go into Office 365 platform and set that flag, yeah. say, look out for anything that looks like social security number and yeah. flag it. Well, I mean, I, I, like, I like learning about the, uh, the security of like my nine to five because I find it very interesting the lengths they take and how much they use to make sure that the information is secure. And it's, just, it's a fascinating thing. And a lot of things, like I said, it's a little weird, like, ooh, that's bizarre, but I can just easily avoid it. So, yeah, learn something new every day. But, Walter, I think we've been going a little over an hour, an hour and 10 minutes here. I think our time is up. We did a fan out, phenomenal conversation. Is there any closing words, anything you want to end on, or any other, anything you also want me to ask you? So my closing remark would be policy-driven cybersecurity framework. Think about policy. It may be a pain in the rear end, but write everything down, plan, about security and always make sure that someone something is looking around all the time. Don't kick back and expect that everything is okay. Not everything is okay. Always be, act, you know, look for tools to be active and make sure you do educate your IT department and make sure that if you have an MSP, they keep themselves updated in terms of what's going on today, 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 today. All right. 
All right, Walter, and please let's let, tell everyone where they can find you if you're on LinkedIn or if you go to your website, your business, how they can get in touch with you. Please plug they away. Can get in, they can get in touch with us at uh, BSC, that's uh, boysamcharlieinternational.com. Uh, you can reach me at Walter at bsinternational.com, or you can reach uh, a sales guy, you know, uh, Bob at bsinternational.com, and uh, we'll be more than happy to talk to you. If you reach out to me, we can schedule a, a free interview uh, or conversation about your infrastructure, get a, get a better understanding of what you have and what your pain points are. I'd love to talk to you and uh, see how we can help you so that you can focus on your business and we can focus on your technology. Awesome. All right, Walter, thank you very much for being here. I do appreciate it. And ladies and gentlemen, my name is Will Tarash. It's T's and Thomas, A-R-A-S-H-U-K, the founder of Willie T Productions, as well as your professional podcast host. If you want to be like Walter and have me interview you about your business, your your product, or whatever it is you would want me to interview or about, that is what I do over here at Willie T Productions. Walter is not going to get just this full podcast interview. He's going to get 10 clips, count them, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 clips for him to use across his website, his newsletter, his social media channels, or anywhere else he can think of them. Um, and we email me, willytproductionsinfo at gmail.com. It's W-I-L-L-Y-T Productions, P-R-O-D-U-C-T-I-O-N-S, info, I-N-F-O, at gmail.com, or go to willytproductions.com to check out our website, our other clients, and email me there. Or find me on LinkedIn, Will Tarashuk, T's and Thomas, A-R-A-S-H-U-K. Shoot me a DM, interact with me there. That is where you can find all my fun stuff. Next time, we'll see who I'm talking to. Might be another finance person, might be someone else. Who knows? We'll see. But until then, y'all take care.